Bibles, if you'll join me in John chapter 14, and verse 8 is where we're going to pick up uh, today. And our theme around the Word this morning is just a single word, and that theme is greater. Greater. Uh, all about 10 years ago, maybe even a little, maybe it was 9, 10 years ago, uh, at that time I kind of judged things on the ages of my kids, so Elijah was somewhere around the age of three or four, which meant LJ was somewhere around the age of one or two, which means Sheppy was around age uh, approaching one, and then Waverly was just a few months old, and uh, Judah Ridge, uh, he'd come along a little later, uh, but, but at that age, our, our kids were around those ages, and we, we decided it was family picture time, uh, and so we went to uh, a friend of ours who is a photographer, and she's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Let's go to a park uh, and take outdoor pictures. And so it sounds great. So we went as a family and, and to take pictures, and we came to what, what we'll just call the, the kid-only picture. Uh, and that's where we laid the blanket out at the park. And again, the kids are all really young, and we just kind of lean them all against each other. And then we step out of the picture uh, and get behind the camera, and we just go absolutely nuts, just with hoping they might look our way, maybe they might smile. Uh, you know, if a real miracle happened, maybe two of them would look actually at the camera. And as we're in that photo opportunity, Amber and I both, we're just going nuts trying to get their attention. And then all of the sudden, I hear an unmistakable sound. And the unmistakable sound is, and I kid you not, wedding bells, like a wedding march song. And we look over to the side, and I, again, just about maybe towards that, that front chair at the end, look over. There is a small, intimate wedding that is happening just a little bit away from us. And we were absolutely clueless that it was going on. And so here we are just going like, ah, like doing everything we can. And then I hear a wedding song and there's a bride that's walking towards this little group of people. And so we just, in a moment, we snatch up our kids and just make a run for it. We don't even look their way. We just run. Uh, and, and, and here's why I share that story. Our world, we're taking our pictures. This is the thing we're doing. This has got our attention right now. This is what's most important to us right now. But I think we'd all agree in the grand scheme of what's more important, there's a greater story that's happening right over here, and it's called a wedding. And, and that is the encouragement as we begin in John 14 today. I share that story because all of us, have those areas, those things, those specific, um, you know, events, circumstances, like they've got, our, they've got our, 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 our attention, our focus. But all the while, there is a greater story that is going on. And it's Christ to His believers who have been rescued, redeemed by His grace, inviting His disciples, inviting His followers, inviting us as His church into the bigger story. Because in that moment, the family picks were great, but there's a way bigger story that's going on. And just for what it's worth, I did find the bride and the groom a little later in the park. I was able to exchange my apologies. Uh, they were super sweet. And so, 
You know, here we are 10, year, 10 years later talking about them, and they're probably talking about us every time they look at their wedding pictures. But, but, uh, but there's a, a greater story. Well, the main idea of today is that Jesus is preparing His disciples, His followers, for a greater and everlasting impact. I mentioned today for a believer is a significant week. Now, every day as a believer, we celebrate the empty tomb. Every day. Every day. But it is unique in this time of year that we do reflect on the Passion Week, on Holy Week. And even specifically today as Palm Sunday, this would be the day that Christ would make His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so where we're at in the story, it is Passion Week. It is Holy Week. Uh, Christ has entered into the city uh, triumphantly. And at this point in the story, it's, it's those who are shouting His name will soon be shouting to crucify Him. That in this upper room, this Thursday night, before the crucifixion, Jesus has washed His disciples' feet. As He's with them, He's told them that one of them, one of the disciples, would betray Him. They don't know who it is. We know it's Judas. Judas has now exited the scene of the upper room. Peter, who we would maybe look to as the leader, the courageous, bold uh, leader of the disciples, he speaks up and he, he professes how he would lay down his life for Christ. And, and Jesus, in a, what seems like almost a gentle rebuke, tells Peter, no, you're, you're going to deny me three times before a rooster crows. And then you have Thomas who asks his questions. And now in verse 8, we're going to see Philip now the disciple Philip is now speaking up and he's going to share uh, what's on his heart with the Lord. And so, uh, as we look at the text this morning, I want us to look at John chapter 14. And we're going to walk through verses 8 through 14, but just so we get a flow for the conversation, let's start in verse 5 where Jesus is talking to Thomas. So, John chapter 14, verse 5, Jesus in the upper room, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would, know, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And then Philip said in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus is preparing. This is a time of preparation in that upper room. He's preparing him for this hour that he said would come, and now the hour is coming. He is going to physically depart from being with them. And they've got all kinds of emotions swirling around, no doubt, maybe anxiety or fear of just the unknown. What? What is going on? And so Philip speaks up and he's like, show us the Father. Show us the Father. 
And, and, and as he's saying this, it may make us think about the Old Testament in Exodus 33 where Moses asked to see the Father, see the glory of God. And, and if you're familiar with the story, like no person can stand in the manifest presence of God, glory of God, and survive. And so Moses, he tucks Moses in the cleft of a rock and his glory passes by. And so we see Philip and he's like, I want to see, show me. And what he's looking for is he's looking for a demonstration. Uh, and it's puzzling that he's wanting to, to see this, this kind of demonstration because think of what Philip has seen. Philip has walked for the past three and a half years with Christ. He saw Christ walk on water. He saw with, when wind and waves were going, were raging he saw Jesus speak and they just stopped. He saw them take a little boy's sack lunch of a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and saw him multiply it and feed thousands upon thousands of people. Just even not too many days ago, they were there when they went to the tomb of Lazarus and Jesus spoke and Lazarus rose from the dead. Like they have seen so much and yet here is Philip. Philip wants more. He wants to see more. But what Philip needs is understanding. He wants to see. Now, I want to take a quick moment and go to John chapter 20. If you want to go there with me, join me in John 20. I'll read it. Uh, but John chapter 20, and just a little context, uh, the, the disciples just got word that the tomb is empty. And specifically, Peter and the disciple John, who wrote this gospel, are now racing to the tomb because they've heard it's empty. And I want you to listen for the, for the number of times you hear saw. They saw. All right? Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're going to listen for Saul. John chapter 20, verse, I'll start in verse 3. The Bible says this. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And that's, that's John. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I just have to stop. And I have to wonder if John is the other disciple. He wrote this gospel. If there's not something in him that's like, the Holy Spirit is going to let me write that I beat Peter? Yeah, like the other disciple outran it. You know, why he's like, that's me, that's me. Anyway, sorry, I just had, I had to go there. Verse 4. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Verse 8, Then the other disciple, this is John again, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that, must, that he must rise from the dead, and then the disciples went back to their homes. So John got there first, and he saw... And then Peter got there and he saw. And then John comes back into the tomb and he saw. And what's interesting is in English, all we see is saw, saw, saw. But in the original language, it's actually three different words that mean three different things. 
So the first time where John got there first, he saw that word means that he saw an image. Like right now, you may see that guitar. Like you just see the image, you're not really engaged in it, you're not pondering about it, you don't think about it, it's just there. Maybe you see it, you kind of know it's there. He saw. And then Peter goes in, and this is a different word, he saw. And the word means he pondered over. So when Peter gets in there, he saw the linen cloths lying there. He did not go in. Or excuse me, Simon Peter followed John, went in. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. This is different. Peter's there and he sees, but he's pondering what he's seen. Like it's more than just a cursory, like, oh, that's a guitar. Like he's seeing, he's pondering. But then John circles back around and he sees, and the Bible says, and believed. That's a different word for see. And it means that he not only saw, he not only pondered, he not only saw, but, but he actually like it changed him when he saw. There was, a, there was a, a movement, a change that took place in John's heart. When he saw that, this was seeing that was believing, and it changed everything. The only thing for John that could account for what they were seeing was that Christ had rose from the dead. And that's the word that Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, what he's teaching Philip is, I don't want you to just acknowledge me. And I'm not even asking you just to ponder me. I'm inviting you to see me, to truly believe in me in such a way that it changes everything about your life. It changes everything about our lives. He's worthy. He's saying in a way to Philip, you've seen me, but you need to see me. It's different. It's like when we were going to get our pictures taken. I saw people. But then I saw people. (laughs) It's a big change. We see people, but, but, but when we see, I saw a wedding going on. It, it, I did, like I had to respond to it. I couldn't just sit there and be like, oh, there's a wedding, never mind. Like, I saw it and we snatched up everybody and we made a run for it. Jesus is inviting his disciples. He's inviting Philip. He's inviting us. Don't, don't just observe, but place your whole faith and trust in me. Build your life on me. Colossians 1.15 says of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Colossians 2.9, the Bible says, For in Him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus again and again is helping His disciples understand He is God. The Bible reveals God to us. One God and reveals Himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And because Christ is God, that changes everything. I've made reference to a a research study that's been done. It's done every other year. It's called the State of Theology. Ligonier Ministry and Lifeway kind of come together and they do this research and they survey people from all kinds of ages, faith backgrounds, 
uh, and just it's a just a it's a it's a gigantic survey, and it's all designed to get the spiritual temperature on the country. And even in that study, they don't just seek out people who don't have a relationship with the Lord. They're 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 interviewing or surveying what we would call evangelicals as well. I'm an evangelical. They would define evangelicals as, as this. Number one, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. I believe that. That's what an evangelical would believe. Also, that it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. I believe that. I'm an evangelical. Uh, another is that they would say that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. That's the good news. Jesus took my place. And so I believe that. And then a fourth thing is that only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. That is what the Bible teaches. That is what His Word says. I believe that. And so these are what evangelicals would hold to. And perhaps that describes you but here's why I share that is because the interesting thing is in this study, 44%, almost half of evangelicals would say this, that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So 44%, almost half of the people of what I just read as an evangelical would say Jesus was a great teacher, but that he's not God. And what this reveals is a concerning reality that many of those who say they believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, actually don't fully know what His Word says about Himself. So Jesus is helping Philip once again understand that He is God and is on Christ and Him is our foundation that we build our lives, we build our worlds on Him. And so here's a point of application for us. We look at our lives and every single one of us build our lives on or around something or somebody. Some people build their lives around their spouse. Some people build their lives around their children. Some people build their lives around their job. Some people build their, their lives around a reputation that they, that they hope for, that people will think about when they see them. Some people build their lives on just X, Y, Z. You fill in the blank. And the warning here is Christ is helping them understand. Listen, all other ground, like the hymn goes, is sinking sand. Like there's only one foundation that will last. And it is the foundation of Christ. Christ is Lord. And that as believers, we build our lives on that. A familiar passage that maybe you've heard before. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. The Bible says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell. And great, the Bible says, great, God says, great was the fall. 
So this is invitation. Examine what we're building our lives on, who we're building our lives on, what we're building our lives on. And Christ is telling us, teaching us there is one greater foundation and it's him that Christ is God, but not just a greater foundation, but a greater work. Verse 12 says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will He do because I'm going to the Father. I think we could all agree, I believe it with all of my heart, as Matthew the tax collector said, that with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I have never uh, given sight to a blind person or uh, a mute person to speak. I can't, I can't, I can't, I've never done those things. I can't do those things. I can't turn red lights to green. Like I can't, I can't do, I'm limited. And so what's Jesus talking about right here? Well, He absolutely will empower them and they will go out in power through the Spirit and the miracles would serve as authenticating power for the gospel message. But what Christ has in view here is not a greater power, but a greater extent of the work. A greater extent. Jesus told him, I got to go, I got to go away, but it's going to be better for you to, that I go away because I'm going to send to you the helper, the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus told them. He said, you're going to receive my spirit. And when my spirit comes upon you, you'll be empowered to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Peter in Acts chapter 2, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He preaches the gospel. Thousands of people come to faith in Christ. Thousands of people come to faith in Christ. We're seeing the greater extent of the work. We're seeing those empowered by the Spirit sharing the good news, seeing people move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And you just see this gospel movement launch and from Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And thousands upon thousands of lives are changed. Jesus sees that through them and through the power in them, the Holy Spirit, they will, they will take this work and they will extend it in a greater way far beyond they would ever hope or imagine. And they couldn't know what they were being a part of, but can't, can't, I just think we could probably all agree on this. Like, I want my life to count. I want my life to be invested in what is lasting. I want my life to be poured into something that's not going to end when I end, at least physically on this earth, and to be with the Lord. No, it's this invitation. It's this invitation to be a part of a bigger, greater story. And Jesus is preparing them that they will grow. And so the, the, the encouragement is this greater work. Every believer is called to the greater work. Every believer is called to sharing this good news of Jesus. And the encouragement is in this room, we have all kinds of vocations in this room. All kinds of workers. Um, you might be, uh, whether it's a, it's, a, it's a student, it's an IT worker, stay-at-home mom, a lawyer, a plumber, a, a, a carpet upholster, a, a flooring expert, a, a, an upholsterer of furniture. Like, we could just go on and on and on of different vocations. And you can put yours in the blank. 
But here's, here's the encouragement is that though you have been gifted and skilled and God has given you, given you that in that vocation, there is a greater work that God has called us to in what you're doing. That you would see where God has you as a launching point for ministry. I've talked with one brother in our family of faith. And he serves uh, as, a, as, a, as a manager in a warehouse. And he shared to me on multiple occasions how God's providence has guided him there. And his office has become a ministry outpost to those around him. The people know they can go to him and seek prayer. Or if there's a need to shut the door to have a, 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 a big time life conversation. Like it's always there. And so it's this, this, this great vision that God has for you where you're at, wherever you live, work, and play, whether you're retired or you're, or you're nearing or you're right in the middle of it, or whether you're, you know, you're a student right now and you're, you're, you're working or wherever that is, like God wants to use you for the greater work. The greater work. And so we see this greater foundation, a greater work, sharing the good news of Jesus and the hope of Jesus with others. And then a third observation is a greater motivation. A greater motivation. Verse 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you catch that? Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that so that the Father may be glorified. That's the purpose of answered prayer. That's the purpose of, of our lives. That's why we have breath in our lungs. God's created us for His glory. And so there's this greater motivation. Ask whatever you want to ask for in My name, and I will give it the Father, so that the Father may be glorified. Verse 14, If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. I can't imagine how, again, Philip, they must have been just so processing like, okay, Jesus is physically leaving us. How are we going to make it? What, what's going to happen? Is everything going to fall apart? We see the rest of the story. They can't see the rest of the story. But we see that if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. God knows they must have been worried, but he did not want them to worry about a thing because he would meet all of their needs. As a believer, this is the comfort of the believer. God will meet all of our needs. There was a time early in ministry, and I was serving at a local church, and my wife, she, she was a school teacher, and we got married. And, and within a week of us getting married, uh, my wife was unable to continue in her job because of a, a, a physical disease that she was diagnosed with, with lupus. Many of you may may know that, and she literally, like, I just, we just looked at each other, I was like, you can't do this, you can't go in there hurting like this, like, we're, I don't know what's going to happen, we're going to figure it out, and, and so we just trusted God with that, and so, so now she's no longer a teacher, and I remember we, we got Bible verses, Philippians 4.19 is one of those Bible verses, says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. I remember cutting it out and putting it on our microwave so that every morning when I went in the kitchen or every, every time I, I went in there to make lunch or whatever it might be, I would be reminded, God has us. God has me. God's going to meet all of our needs. He's faithful. 
He's faithful. 1 John 5, 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we do know that we have the request that we have asked for. Just think back through your life and the faithfulness of God through each step of the way. He's so faithful. So there are three important words that we need to hear in that last verse of verse 14. Because it's real easy to hear, if you ask me anything, I will do it. Like It's real easy to hear that part of the verse, and we all love that part of the verse. But we can't leave out what might be the most, three most important words in that, in that scripture. And it's this, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In my name. To pray in His name is to pray in a way that's consistent with His character. It's to pray in a way that's consistent with His purposes. It's praying in a way how Christ taught us to pray. He taught the disciples, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And and He goes on from there, but He begins with the glory of God and He begins with the will of God. And I know just like you, that my will isn't always God's will. And that's, that's, that's difficult. It's challenging to work through or walk through at times. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is gracious and good and trustworthy. But that even in this, if we ask in His name, and so we pray that His will be done in our homes, and His will be done in our friendships, and His will be done in our marriages, His word be done in our vocation, in all the branches as is in heaven, you know, like as he as he prays. And so when we pray, we're acknowledging we need him. We're acknowledging we can't fix it. We're acknowledging our desperation for God. And God is telling him, You pray anything in my name, my will, you'll have it. And what a peace that must have been for Philip. And what a peace that must have been for the disciples to hear Jesus say, Hey, whatever need you got, I know you're gonna be scared. It looks like you're a little nervous. And see you're anxious, just know, I've got you. Anything you ask according to my name, I will do it. And so as we reflect on this text, there are just a couple points of application that I would encourage us with in light of this. And I asked a moment ago, but I think it's worth asking one more time. And that is the question of who or what are you building your life on? Who or what are you building your life on? When my wife and I, when we lived in Kentucky for about five years, and, and when we were selling our home in Kentucky, uh, and if you've sold homes or bought homes, you know there's this thing called a home inspection, which can send shivers down your spine, because <laughs> you, you don't know, especially if you're the seller, or if you're the buyer, either one, we're the seller, and home inspection revealed that we actually had a large crack down our slab in our home, on uh, our living area. And the, the home inspector, realtor, like, listen, you're not going to be able to sell your home till you get your foundation checked out. And uh, this, this isn't good. And so we're processing that and we're like, oh, no, <laughs> what are we going to do? So somebody in our church was actually a, an engineer and they had a business. That's what they did. They were a structural engineer and they would test and do different things. And so fear and trembling, I asked a gentleman to, if he would come to our home. And he would test our foundation. He came. 
And, and you know how there's people you can joke with and there's people you can't joke with? You can't joke with him. <laughs> he's a very no-nonsense, he's awesome, very no-nonsense kind of guy. And I will never forget him walking up through my, we had a garage, the, the garage door into the home, and he brought in this big metal rod that was like this long, and he brought it in, and he stopped before he came in, and he said these words to me. And, and, and it was this intense, if you feel this at all. But he, he looked at me and he said, he was like, are you sure you want me to do this? I'm like, no, but I need you to. Uh, because what he's saying is this. I'm an expert. This is what I do. I'm going to find out if the foundation that you're home in is faulty or if it's solid. And so I'm going to test it, and I'm going to tell you what I find out. But of course, we had no other option, and so we say, come on in. And, and, and he literally, if it was 10 minutes, 10 minutes, it felt like 10 hours. I just sat there like this, just watching. But he walked around. We had the carpet pulled up, floor pulled up. It's just a slab, and there's this crack running down. And he's just walking around with this metal pole, and he's just going, ding, and pick it up. And then drop it again, ding. And for like 10 minutes, he just paced around, all around our floor, dropping this iron thing. And I guess he's listening for a certain kind of vibration or tone that will tell him what shape the foundation is in. And so he didn't say a word. He just time after time did it. And then he came up to me. And he looked at me. And he said, your foundation is, is solid. Yes! I was like, oh my goodness, praise the Lord. Like, because I'm thinking we're going to have to, do you you bulldoze your house? You build it up again? I I don't know. But I share that story to say this, like allow the Holy Spirit to examine the foundation that you've built your life on. Some of us, well, all of us are building our lives on someone or something and you don't want to wait until the sunlight has passed and we're before the Lord and the foundation of our lives are examined and what we see is all along our lives have been built on a faulty foundation. Because when our lives are built on Christ through a relationship with Christ, that we can know that when the rain comes and the wind blows and the storms prevail, that our foundation will not be shaken. We are secure in Him. But woe to the one who is living with a faulty foundation and have built their life on anything other than Christ and everything is going to pass away. So here is the encouragement. Believer, my foundation was solid, but my foundation had cracks in it. Which meant I had to address the cracks in the foundation. And so I would just say this as a believer, are there cracks in your relationship with Jesus? Are there areas of sin and temptation that the Holy Spirit just is convicting you about and revealing in your life and encouraging you that, that there's, a, there, there's freedom, there's rest, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's Holy Spirit power? Like the, the invitation in this moment, the Holy Spirit is, is, is inviting to repent and rest in His forgiveness and trust in Him. And He'll give you the grace and strength. And it would also go to say that for the person who might be far from God, 
maybe you've got to this point in your life somehow, and maybe you've seen Jesus, but you haven't seen Jesus. And He's inviting you to see Him for who He is, and He is inviting you to build your life on Him. He is the only one who can give lasting satisfaction and peace and rest. And so the invitation is those faulty foundations will pass away. Only what's built on Christ will last. And so this invitation of relationship, just like he told Thomas, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So that invitation to a rest and relationship. And then I would also encourage you, we're all called as believers to the greater work. The greater work. Yes, we are School teachers, yes, we are. Contractors, yes, we are. Whatever the vocation is, but there's a greater work that God has called us to and to be a part of and that He will empower us to share the good news with others with Him. And so, uh, in this time, I want us to, to pray together. And uh, just, I even want to just take a moment. I'm going to pray over us, but just take, I just want to take a moment and just spend some time with the Lord in your heart. And maybe there's an area of your life that God desires to bring light to and healing to and hope to. So I just want to give a moment and then I'll, I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this Word. I thank You for this teaching. And God, I thank You for the front row seat that You've given us to hear Your, your instruction to Philip and the disciples. And God, I pray that we would be so sensitive and aware of maybe even not being intentional, but we, we built our lives around something or someone that is not you. And so I pray, God, that you would, um, God, in your grace and the Holy Spirit, just show us those areas of our lives, those cracks maybe that are in the foundation. We're yours as a child through repentance of faith, but yet we realize that there are areas that need attention and need to be addressed. And so, God, I pray just conviction and grace, God, that we would rest in your forgiveness and love toward us. And God, that your Holy Spirit would give us grace to move forward. I pray that we would see our homes and that we would see our places of work and even our retirement season for those who are there as being a, a time to give ourselves to a greater work, a lasting work for your glory for your mission. And God, I do pray for that one who may be living apart from a relationship with you and they look at the foundation of their lives and maybe it's themselves or maybe it's their good works that they've built their life on or, or a good name or, or, or reputation or, or whatever. There's so many things. But God, the only foundation that lasts is a, is, is a foundation built on you and your word. So, Lord, I pray that, that that distant heart, God, would respond in repentance and faith and trust you as Lord. So, God, we do love you and we honor you and praise you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand uh, as we have a time of response. We'll have pastors here. Altar is always open. And just pray that we'd be sensitive to how the Lord would lead us in this time. Let's worship the Lord together.